What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 134 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with Fandango Managing Editor Eric Davis. Thanks so much for checking out the Adult Education Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, I hope that you like what you hear and that you subscribe and stick with us. I would really appreciate it if you would take a second to uh, leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're using, leave a review if they ask you to, and feel free to share the show with your friends. Word of mouth is the best way to inspire new people to check it out. I love music, which is something you've probably picked up on since uh, I've had a bunch of musical guests on this podcast, but I also love movies. The only thing that I enjoy doing nearly as much as going to see live music is just sitting down in a theater or on my couch with a big bucket of popcorn, enjoying a good film. That being said, I haven't spent much time in theaters over the last few years. Like most everybody else, the pandemic interrupted my movie going, and I haven't really gotten back into it. There are a lot of reasons for that, probably the biggest one being that I'm a dad now and I just don't have the same freedom that I used to, but I've also leaned a lot more into streaming services. I'm fine, honestly, with waiting a few weeks to see a movie in the comfort of my own home. And I'm not alone here. Box office revenues have not quite climbed back to what they were pre-pandemic. There are some big movies here and there. Yeah, we can't deny that. But overall, it's been a lot slower than it used to be. But every once in a while, you need to hit the theater. As we saw this summer, Barbie became the highest grossing film of the year, and it was an absolute pop culture phenomenon. So people are still excited to go to the movies. It just has to be something special to bring them out. This week on the Adult Education Podcast, I'm catching up with a movie expert. Joining me is Fandango Managing Editor Eric Davis. We'll talk about the huge summer at the box office with Barbenheimer. What do films need to do to bring people back out? And what's coming up for the fall and winter season? Oh, and of course, how Taylor Swift may change the movie game for musicians as well. Yeah, that's going to be a good part of this conversation, too. I hope you enjoy my chat with Eric Davis. Eric, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on here, man. Good. Oh, my gosh. It's a pleasure. One thing I love to talk about, well, two things would be music and movies. So I'm going to cover one of them here with you, which I'm excited about. Yes, I, we could also talk about the Taylor Swift concert movie if you want to get a little music in there. <laughs> That's funny because that actually was going to be one of my first things for you is like, did you expect to see Taylor Swift saving the fall box office? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think anybody expected <laughs> expected to see that it's pretty wild i mean i'm not surprised at all that the fans are buying up tickets but when i saw the expectations running anywhere from 80 to 125 million dollars for the weekend i was like that's that's a i mean that's a legit opening weekend yeah i i think it was brilliant honestly on the part of taylor swift i think i think one of the i think the most brilliant move that she made was that she did it as the tour was still kind of happening and it was still on like she didn't wait several months until the tour ended and then come out with this film, you know, she kind of, you know, took advantage, I think, of the heat of the tour and uh, also, you know, heard her fans saying, hey, I couldn't get tickets. This is one of the hardest tickets to get. My daughter couldn't get tickets. She really wanted to go. And so now she's really stoked to go to the film. So I think it was a really great thing she did for her fans. And I think it was a really smart thing that she did um, for in terms of a cinematic release. I know not every artist has the same draw that she may have, but I've always wondered why more artists didn't try to capitalize on maybe a one night only in the theater kind of thing. Because I used to go to movies and see the advertisements for like the Broadway operas and different musicals they would show once in a while in the theater. I was always surprised artists didn't try to do more of that over time. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, especially these days, I think, and I think Taylor Swift is really going to open the door Sure. For these other performers who are, 
you know, really selling out. I, I was, my daughter wants to go see Olivia Rodrigo. I said, let's see what Olivia Rodrigo tickets look like. And they're like hundreds of dollars, you know, and so you got to take out a small loan to go like see Olivia Rodrigo. So I, I think it's a really smart play. And Taylor Swift, is, you know, her film isn't just for the one night. Like she's, it, mm-hmm. she's letting it play for a while. Um, and there are no streaming. We don't know if and when it'll it'll arrive on streaming. So without a doubt, I definitely think, especially with these high profile tours, Beyonce, Olivia Rodrigo, you know, if NSYNC comes back, mm-hmm. I, stuff, stuff like that, that just is so in demand. And and in some cases is is not affordable for people to go see live. I think the movie theater experience is a perfect venue for it. I almost feel like this will be sort of a test run on a bigger level. You know what I mean? It's weird to say test run because it's going to make $100 million. But I, I think even just, you just mentioned Olivia Rodrigo. You talked about uh, other artists. I mean, next year, 2024, for me, as like a, a rock fan, a punk rock fan, it's the 30th anniversary of Green Day and Offspring and their major big albums that came out. Like, I expect there to be tours around those. I expect them now to watch what's happening with Taylor Swift and see, do we want to put that out? in the theater and capitalize for the folks that couldn't make it out to an arena to see us play. I mean, I feel like this is going to be a test run to see what we can do over the next couple of years. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, and, and we've talked about this for a while. Like they, like movie theaters have, there have been sporting, sure. you know, events that have been in theaters and every once in a while you'll get a musical that was, was, was filmed and it'll be in a theater and we have these re-releases, special re-releases. But yeah, I think, you know, and and this is not by any means the first concert movie, right? Um, you know, Justin Bieber, et cetera, We've seen them, uh, but I do think that the way that she's doing it here um, is just—it's making so much noise that it's adding this, like, it's it's bringing people to the theater in ways that maybe they're not used to going to the theater. Yeah. And so I think it's really great for movie theaters, and I'm curious to see what other acts follow uh, Taylor's lead here. Well, we can shift gears a little bit, but I do want to know more about you and and how you came to be such a movie guy, how you came to be the managing editor at Fandango. Like, tell me a little bit more about yourself and how movies became a major part of your life. Yeah, I started, uh, I mean, way back before social media, like um, 2004-ish, when people were blogging, which was a thing. Oh, the good old days. Social media. (laughs) Yeah, the good old days where... People had blogs and they linked their blogs to other yes. other people. And, you know, this is, you know, before like the infancy of MySpace. Um, and so I was writing about movies. I had a movie blog and um, AOL at the time. AOL was a big, a big honcho in the, in the online space. Had acquired a um, group of blogs, so to speak, and were hiring people to write for them. And one of them was a movie blog called Cinematical. And um, I started writing for them and writing about movie news and reviewing films and going to film festivals. Um, and it was at one of those film festivals where I met some folks from Fandango, who was still kind of young too. And Fandango was like, we sell movie tickets, but we'd love to you know, talk about other things and talk about movie news and let people know about these movies. And you know, do you want to come on and, and write you know, about movies uh, for Fandango? And I said, sure. And um, that was sort of how it happened. And then after a little while, it was like, hey, you want to, you know, maybe go on the radio and talk about movies? I said, sure. Do uh, you want to go on TV and talk about movies? I was like, yeah, well, why not? You know, and here we are now, um, uh, several years later. And, um, you know, I, I'm still there and um, I love it. You know, this is kind of 
I grew up going to the movies. I, I was not the coolest kid of the bunch. And so every weekend I had a couple friends and we were at the movies. We weren't at the keg parties and, you know, all the, the high school dances. We we would go to the movies and get a couple slices of pizza afterwards and talk about the movie. And so um, I, I my father was obsessed with movies from a very young age. He was mm. taking me and and talking to me about, you know, filmmakers of the 70s and the 60s and um, and so it's just been embedded in me since I was a kid. And, uh, and, and, and as I've been working at Fandango over the years and why I've, I've never wanted to leave is because I just feel like I'm, I'm doing what I'm, mm. I'm meant to do. And, um, and I love it. When I look back on my youth, there's so many random memories that pop up that include movies. Like you talked about your dad having a big influence on you. And I think so many people can track that back. For me, my grandfather took me to see Hook and A League of Their Own in the theaters. And to this day, those are still two of my top movies of all time because I feel like when I sit down and watch it, it brings me back to that moment of sharing a theater experience with my grandfather, who's sadly no longer with us. But I just, you just, me you remember that. You remember movie experiences in the theater like that. It's just something that sticks with you. Yeah, without a doubt. I and mean, one of mine is, uh, of that era, is Jurassic Park. Sure. And seeing that, I saw that with my dad for the first time. And that was, uh, uh, came out around the same time that Surround Sound was mm -hmm. introduced. That was the thing. You know, it was like, oh my God, yeah. Surround Sound, there's dinosaurs everywhere. <laughs> right? Like now every every little TV, if it's 20 inches, has Surround Sound built in. And so it's just something that we're so used to. But back then when Jurassic Park came out, it was so new. And so like, I was freaked out. I, I heard dinosaurs coming from every side of me. And I'll never forget that experience. And I think a lot of our, you know, when you ask somebody, what's your favorite film? A lot of people will go back to those films that yeah. they first saw when they were nine, 10, 11, because um, they remember those experiences. They remember those films. They they really kind of, um, you know, just are so memorable to these people. And so uh, I, I I love it. And uh, and I, that's why I, I champion the movie going experience. And um, that's why I like also being at Fandango because we sell movie tickets and and I'm such a fan of that experience. And so I preach it. And um, and I think it's more important than ever now because look, I have two kids who are on their phones all the time and, you know, and they're like a movie, dad, what? Like you want to go to a movie? And it's sort of, you know, so I think, you know, preaching the fact that this pastime is valuable to us, mm -hmm. um, I think is is more important than it's ever been before. What's your, it's kind of a random question and I'll tell you mine. So you have a second to think about it, but what's your like weird movie that when you tell people you love it, everyone's kind of like, yeah, that's a kind of a stranger. Like for me, I think back again, going back sort of like mid nineties era, my friends and I went to go see this movie called very bad things. I don't know if you're familiar with Jeremy Piven, Christian Slater. Uh, it was kind of the hangover before the hangover came out, kind of dark comedy. We went three nights in a row because we loved that movie so much. We're probably the only group of people that went to see it in the theater. But when I talk about that film, no one's ever heard of it. And they're like, you're such a weirdo. What is this movie? <laughs> What's yours? I, I mean, I'll give you two. One of them, similar to that, is the the first Mortal Kombat movie. Sure. When that came out, it had like this techno soundtrack. And I went with my buddies. We went to like the midnight showing because we were big arcade guys at the time and playing Mortal Kombat. And and we went like similar to you, like three times yeah. to see Mortal Kombat and and blasting techno on the way home. <laughs> and it was it was it was ridiculous. Um, and then there's this other, you know, I'm a big fan of coming of age movies. Yeah. Um, 
and of comedies and teen comedies. And there is this movie that came out, I want to say in the early 80s, right before Fast Times at Ridgemont High came out. So I think Fast Times kind of stole some thunder from this film called The Last American Virgin. Oh, and it's it. got this got this great soundtrack and it's you know very similar to like American Pie or one of those films that came out 20 years later. Uh, but it's got this really amazing ending where like it's 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 not, it's not a good ending for the hero of the film. Oh. And that always just stuck with me to like look at this film, like look at the chances that it's taking with its ending. And it's like it's so real life mm. and I was not expecting it because it was so true to what real life was and I've always admired that film and when I tell people about it nobody's seen it <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it but I've at least heard of it so I'll give I'll take a point for that one I guess but we can talk more about current stuff because I think movies the experience in theaters the box office I've been fascinated by it these last couple of years especially coming out of the pandemic because obviously that interrupted everybody's lives in so many different ways and of all the industries that we've been watching to see bounce back the theater industry has in some ways, but also in some ways, definitely not. So it's been interesting to keep an eye on that. When you look at all the numbers, I mean, yeah, tickets are more expensive now than they were, say, five years ago. So that, you know, definitely changes things a little bit. But when you look at it, like, how are you seeing the audience react to movies coming out? Are you feeling like the like the energy is there again? Like, what are you seeing? I definitely think the energy is there, you know, and yes, movie ticket prices uh, are higher, but look, I'm a dad of two. I'm a family of four. I go to McDonald's and it's $80 sure. now, oh, yeah. you know? And, and so it's like, I still feel like going to the movies, especially if you're a family is still one of the more inexpensive activities yes. that you can do, even if tickets uh, are, are at a higher price than they used to be. And so that's why I still preach like, Hey, go to the movies. I mean, right. go, I tried to go bowling the other day and it was well over a hundred dollars. <laughs> I was like, I just want to go bowling. You know, and so it's, it's, you know, uh, so we went to the movies. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, so yes to that, but I, you know, I, I look at these three big moments since COVID for the, for the movies and there is a theme to them. You know, I look at when Spider-Man No Way Home came out yeah. um, and the hype around that and how everyone went to go see that because of the three Spider-Man, because of the multi-generational aspect of that film people who grew up with either Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield and, and Tom Holland. And so it just drew out so many people. And then I looked at uh, Top Gun Maverick and to a, to a degree as well, Avatar The Way of Water. Um, also, you know, the first Avatar came out 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, many years ago. Yeah. And then Top Gun Maverick, 19, mid 1980s, Top Gun, mid 1980s. So again, big event movies, a lot of people came out. You had multi-generational uh, sort of uh, aspect to, the, to each of those films. And then I look at Barbenheimer was this summer, you know, and the Barbie and the Oppenheimer effect. Here's Barbie. It's, a, it's a, an IP that's been around since the 60s. Again, multi-generational. Christopher Nolan has had movies, you know, The Dark Knight. He's been making movies for a couple of decades. So you have like, you have this multi-generational aspect. And so I keep saying that word multi-generational because I do think that that is a key right now. Not only does a film, I think to a certain degree need to feel like an event to make you know the big money. There's a lot of films that are coming out that are doing just fine. But it, you know, in terms of these big, big ones that everyone's talking about, there is, it's an event and it's also multi-generational. You know, there's kids that 
are invested just as much as their parents, just as much as the parents' parents are invested. Um, and then the neighbors and everyone's kind of has this investment in it, no matter what age you are. And I think right now that is a big key. Uh, if a movie wants to be a huge success is that it resonates with multiple generations of people. Yeah. I mean, you'll say multi-generational, I'll say nostalgic because I think Mario yeah. comes into that too. I mean, Mario just yes. blew the doors off going into that release. I mean, I've never, no, I want to say I never, but there was so much crap being talked about that film before it came out in theaters. I was like, no one's going to go see this movie. And then it blew up and it became, I, I don't know. I think Barbie has surpassed it at this point, but either way, it's still one of the biggest films of the year. It became massive for them. And then when you look at it, like you said, Top Gun, Barbie, uh, Mario, even Spider-Man, you've got that element of, man, this is my childhood. And now I get to go watch it on the big screen. And there's something so cool about that where it feels like that's a major factor of drawing people back in. You, you got to give them something more, basically. It's not just going to be a good movie that drags you in. There's got to be something else that's pulling you in, too. Yeah, for it to be an event like yeah. those films, and I, you know, I and I think the generation that grew up with with Spider Man, with Barbie, with you know Super Mario, that generation now are the ones with kids that yeah. are preteens and teenagers, and so that's why those properties I think are resonating in a much bigger way. I'm talking like '70s, '80s properties uh, because the that those people uh, of my generation now have kids that are are growing up um and and of of age to to go watch these movies and they also sort of grew up with some of these properties because their parents were obsessed with them as kids so my kids were playing mario and watching star wars and doing everything that i i was obsessed with as a kid and so you know naturally they're you know invested in it too and so you know i do i do think that you know those movies you know more so than trying to capture barbenheimer you know like i don't think necessarily we should try to pair up two movies and try to watch them go at it. I don't think that's necessarily a, uh, a point to take away from that, but I do think that, you know, that the eventizing of it and, and the, the nostalgic multi-generational aspect of it is really a key to the success of other films moving forward. Event is a great word because we've talked about that in the music industry too. I, my primary job is with a radio station, so I'm very tied into local events, local concerts. And one thing we've seen is that, yeah, you've got your Taylor Swifts. You've got your major massive artists like that that are going to sell out two, three nights, whatever you need to do at a show. But there's the majority of the other artists that they're doing fine, but they're not doing what they used to do. They're not pulling the tickets the way they used to. But we're finding it's the it's the concerts that become an event, the concerts that are the can't miss this moment of the summer or of the year. Those are the ones that sell. And it feels like that's what movies are too. Like with Barbie, for a great example, all these women that I know went out, bought a ton of pink, went out for a girl's night. A lot of theaters were doing pink carpets instead of red carpets. Like the theaters even made it an event. Like you were getting more for your dollar because you were being a part of something as opposed to just buying your box of popcorn and sitting down. You were a part of a moment. And it kind of feels like that's, that's what movies sort of have to aspire to if they really want to bring in the top dollar right now. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think you're onto something there. And, and like that movie being an event uh, that people feel like their neighbors are talking about and everyone's kind of, the news are talking about it. You know, Barbie, what was so smart about that is that they did like these collabs with I, every store that's in yeah. your mall. 
you know, and so you couldn't walk past the store without seeing Barbie in the window. And it's just, you know, I think it was just a brilliant marketing campaign that really elevated it to where you felt like you, you had to see it. Uh, and I, I remember the Top Gun Maverick and Spider-Man No Way Home yeah. and Avatar The Way of Water, very similar. You just felt like you had to see it. It was everywhere. And so, yeah, I think for those movies that aspire to like, you know, billion dollar global box office juggernauts, um, to a certain degree, they're going to have to eventize themselves in a way that, you know, replicates what those films did, for, you know, in terms of drawing audiences in. Um, you know, there are still a lot of smaller films that aren't going to make a billion dollars sure. that are super memorable and you're going to love. Um, but I think for those films to re that really want to like lead the, the box office for the year, um, they need to be events in some in some capacity. This is not meant in any disrespectful way at all to Oppenheimer, but I can't help but wonder if Oppenheimer had opened on a different weekend where there wasn't the media blitz of Barbenheimer, would it have done as well? Like, would people have been as interested to see it if it was separated from this big media storm of this is the biggest weekend in movies in a decade? You're like, I wonder if its result would have been the same had it have been separated from Barbie in that release. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I can't I can't necessarily say whether or not it would be, but I look at Barb I look at Oppenheimer and I look at what it's done in the subsequent weeks, right? Mm -hmm. Like leading up to Barbenheimer, there was a ton of hype in those first couple of weekends, a ton of hype. But then once you're past those couple of weekends, once the news cycle has run its course, then now you're seeing, okay, what's the longevity of these films? And I think Oppenheimer still like i think the other day it just crossed 900 million worldwide yeah. and so i think the fact that it's a really good film that i think honestly i think it's going to win best picture as well at the oscars um the fact that it's an experience that is unlike other experiences especially if you see it in imax especially if you see it in imax 70 millimeter you know you're just kind of hit with this impactful memorable experience so maybe barbenheimer you know the effect of barbenheimer helped escalate awareness of Oppenheimer, but I do think the film itself has done most of the heavy sure. lifting because it's really good. And people who are seeing it are telling people you have to see Oppenheimer. What is interesting, and you've always had the big blockbuster films that would make more money than other films, but what's been interesting to me to watch is you get some of these movies that now, of course, I'm going to draw a blank on some titles to throw at you, but you get the movies that would have come out and made a good solid, I don't know, $30, $40 million in the box office, which is, you know, a fair amount of money for a good film, but they're not making that money anymore. It's like people are only saving their money for the big blockbuster, the big film. You know what I mean? So you get those movies that maybe would do really well for the Oscars. They'd get a bunch of nominations that maybe in the box office at the time, $20, $30 million. Now it's like $5 million and they're gone in one week kind of thing. And it's been wild to see that shift where it does seem like it's you're the top dog. There's not really much middle ground anymore. Like the middle ground kind of shifted. Yeah, I, I would say in some cases, you know, sure. and like one thing, one interesting thing that we saw this summer was that, um, you know, like films like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, um, Pixar's Elemental, they just, they had legs on them. So like maybe they didn't open up. Like I think there's yeah. so much attention on opening weekend. That's it. And I think that obsession with opening weekend needs to sort of die down a little bit because the urgency to see a film as soon as it comes out isn't necessarily what it used to be. Mm -hmm. And so I do think these films, if they're good films, 
they have these legs over time. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 over time became one of the highest grossing movies of the year. Elemental over time became one of Pixar's best movies. So I think over time, some of these films that may look like they're underperforming because they don't have the opening weekend numbers that maybe we used to see from that franchise or from films like it. Um, over time now, people are saying, hey, I'm going to wait for week two to go see this, or yeah. I'm going to wait you know, until my, my uncle's in town because he likes this. They're not running out to see it uh, right away. And then, you know, I think also there, there's a life after these films at home too. I think, you know, we see it on Voodoo. Um, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of people that go to watch these movies when they arrive home. And, you know, that's one thing that we saw born out of COVID was this, what they call a PVOD window, which is this premium VOD. So some of these smaller films that maybe don't make a lot of noise theatrically, you know, after about three weeks, four weeks, they're on PVOD. Mm -hmm. So now you can watch them at home at a higher price point. Um, and, you know, and then they go to EST and then they go to VOD and then they're on DVD and then the streaming rights are sold. So, you know, a film that maybe makes five million in the theater may do really well over time because there's all these other subsequent windows now that, that exist uh, for them to, to for audiences to find them. So let me ask you this question then, because there was a big discussion about Mission Impossible, Indiana Jones. These films were expected to be really big blockbusters, and they did fine. They, I mean, they made money. It wasn't like they bombed and didn't do anything, but didn't quite do what people were expecting. So you as a critic, as a movie fan, what do you think films like that need to do moving forward to remind people, hey, even Fast Fast X or whatever it was this year, also kind of the same thing. What do they have to do to remind people, hey, you love us, like come see us, come see our next film? Because besides Indiana Jones, they all have another one planned. Yeah, and it's funny because I really like the Indiana Jones movie. I enjoyed and I it think, too. I think there's a certain degree that people uh, didn't want to watch Harrison Ford at, at you know seventy or eighty, you know, being Indiana Jones. I think there was a certain degree there that that wasn't as much of a draw mm -hmm. as maybe it would have been at a different point. Um, and the Indiana Jones franchise too, I don't know, like even though it is multi-generational, I don't know younger generations what their relationship is with with Indiana Jones because it, 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 it it's itself based on, you know, 1930s serials that I don't know if the TikTok generation is really, really opening themselves up to that at, at this moment. Maybe they are, but um, so I think that's what Indy's sort of struggle was, but I do tell everybody to watch it because I, I, th I think it's a good movie. But, you know, I think that you have to reinvent yourself. Mm. And I think that's what people want to see. I just saw the movie The Creator, um, which is the next movie from Gareth Edwards who did Rogue One. And it's like this big, bold, like original sci-fi movie. And yeah, it's it's got familiar story beats you know, the AI versus humans, like we've seen the Terminator, like it's got these familiar beats, but it kind of reinvents those familiar beats mm -hmm. in a fresh way. And so I'm looking at like some of these franchises that there's still weight to them, right? Like the Jurassic movies, you know, they're going to come back um, fast continues, you know, so some of these franchises, there's still life in them, but I do think you got to reinvent mm -hmm. and, and give, give the audiences a unique, viewpoint that maybe they haven't had yet for these characters you know i'm looking ahead to deadpool 3 sure it's the third deadpool movie but it's the first r-rated film from marvel studios you know and here we are you know 30 films in or whatever from marvel studios who've been around since 
what, 2008 now. And I think that there's a certain level of like, uh, here's another Marvel right. movie, you know? So I look at them and I say, reinvent yourself, do something, give the audience something they haven't seen from Marvel Studios yet. And here's an R-rated movie. We haven't seen that yet. So I think there's a there's an answer somewhere in there in terms of just reinventing yourself mm-hmm. for the modern era for, you know, for, for the fans that kind of came before, yeah, you're giving them what they're looking for. But for these new fans, you're giving them, you know, a fresh look at, at what you have to offer. So I would say just don't be cookie cutter with your part seven or eight. Like, you know, push the boundaries and, and reinvent what, what people think they know about. Uh, make them rethink what they think they know about your franchise. All right, Eric. So I know the the next couple of years of box office stuff is going to look a little different given everything that's been going on in the world. But what are you looking forward to over the next few months? I know holiday season's a big time of year for the box office. So what are you excited for that's coming out here in the near future? Yeah, um, I, the creator is one that I'll sure. mention because I love that. That comes out uh, at the end of uh, September. But, you know, I'm looking, I, I'm a big Marvel fan. So that Marvel's movie that's in November that was voted our most anticipated film, uh, we did a fall movie survey. So the fans, that's going to be the one I think the fans are going to want to see the most. Um, I saw a couple of films at the Toronto Film Festival that are coming out that I really liked. Uh, there's a Nicolas Cage film called Dream Scenario. I just saw the trailer for that. It looks wild. I'm so, I, and it looks so confusing. Like the trailer gives you just <laughs> enough to be like, okay, something's interesting here. But then I'm like, well, what's happening? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, he, he, ba- he plays like a schlubby like teacher who all of a sudden realizes that dozens of strangers are dreaming about him. And how does that affect him? He, how he becomes a de facto celebrity and his life kind of spirals out of control. So it's got this like weird premise, but it's really funny and, and just really great Nicolas Cage performance. I like films like that that are just weird and take sure. a big swing. And that one, this one does. It's funny. I just got back from the Toronto film festival, a lot of teacher themed films, huh. a lot of teachers, uh, writers, um, so a lot of those kinds of films that are coming out, there's another one called the holdovers, which I loved, which was directed by Alexander Payne, um, stars Paul Giamatti. They did sideways together, uh, about, uh, a, a teacher okay. who has to hold over, uh, during the Christmas break with some students, uh, set in the seventies filmed as if it was a film from the seventies. Uh, so if you're a fan of seventies filmmaking, definitely see the holdovers. Uh, I think it's great. Um, other than that. I'm looking ahead to um, to December. You have there's an Aquaman sequel, which oh right, um, curious about that. Uh, you also have a, a musical adaptation of The Color Purple um, that looks really fascinating and interesting. Um, the film that won the Audience Award at Toronto, which I really loved, a film called American Fiction, starring Jeffrey Wright. Okay, um, I, I thought that was really good. Uh, so you have some of those coming out. And then into 2024, there is uh, a new Deadpool movie, which we talked about, a Godzilla, a new Godzilla versus Kong movie. Uh, Dune Part 2 was my most anticipated fall movie, and now it shifted into March. And so that one is, I would say, right up there for me. I love the first Dune. Yeah. I can't wait to see Oh my gosh, the the filming of that it just was so beautiful to watch the first do, and it was just even even if you didn't like the story, it was just stunning to see how they put the whole thing together. I was gripped to the screen when that one came out. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So though it's those kinds of films, those big, you know, IMAX, like you got to see it on the biggest screen possible with the best sound. It's going to take you to another planet or another universe. 
Like that's the kind of stuff that really feeds me. I love that stuff. That's why I can't stop talking about the creator because it's just, it was one of those kinds of movies that just took me somewhere else to the future. And, and I kind of got to hang out in this really wild place for a while. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm looking forward to the most. And, um, and I think there's a lot, there's a lot out there. There's a new exorcist movie that's coming out. That looks crazy from the guy who remade all the Halloween that did the mm-hmm. Halloween sequels. Um, so a lot of horror that's on the way. Uh, so yeah. Oh, and how do I not mention the Scorsese killers of the flower moon? Oh, right. Uh, which, which, uh, you know, I think that one, his first movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and De Niro in the same movie, uh, I've seen it. It's really strong. And I think come Oscar time, it's going to be killers of the flower moon versus Oppenheimer Scorsese versus Nolan. I think it's going to be a fun Oscar. That'll be a cool battle to talk about. Well, Eric Davis, managing editor for Fandango. I appreciate all your insight. I I love what you do over there at Fandango. I'm a constant user. Whenever I go to a movie, that's the first place I go to, to buy my ticket, to find my seat, to do all of it that I need. So Eric, thank you for your time. I appreciate everything. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good one. Big thank you to Eric Davis. Check out his work on Fandango. Honestly, I always use Fandango before I head to my local theater. It is definitely an app on my phone that's gotten a lot of use. And thank you to all of you for checking out the Adult Education Podcast. Until next week, be well.